Hi, my name is Jamin. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Late, Late to, to the, the Watch, Watch Party. Party. Shh. The movie's starting. Hey guys, welcome to Late to the Watch Party, the first ever episode of Late to the Watch Party. Very exciting. Ooh. We thank you so much for tuning in. This week we're going to be watching Fight Club, truly a wild ride of a film. And I'm joined by my co-host, the wonderful, Re can I say your last name? No. Um, I'm in witness the protection, one so maybe not. The wonderful Rebecca... Hello, Jamin. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> we, if you, you'll learn very quickly on this podcast, we don't follow a script. We're a little bit by the seat <laughs> of our pants. We're hopefully saved in the editing so that this is bearable to listen to. We um, thank Jamin on our knees for editing this. <laughs> I really get to analyze our habits in the post of this podcast. <laughs> A little bit about us, Rebecca and I both, we didn't meet till college, and we didn't truly connect till post-college, but we are two people who were both raised in evangelical Christian homes, in homeschooled families that were wonderful in so many ways, but it also means that there's a lot of movies that we maybe weren't allowed to see or just didn't cross our path. Mm -hmm. that everybody else has seen. And so after a lot of FaceTime movie nights, we decided to that our conversations needed more structure. So we started a podcast to get the ball rolling. And we decided to dedicate it to watching all of those movies that everyone has seen, such as Fight Club, such as The Breakfast Club, such as Such Mrs. as other Doubtfire. movies with club in it. S really, most movies with club, that just kind of wasn't allowed. In my household. I mean, <laughs> clubs is close to clicks, and I know that clicks weren't allowed in my household. Oh, we didn't have to go so far, just like clubs are bad. <laughs> Period. If you're trying to organize, forget about if it. If you're trying to organize and it's not religion, get out. 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 So the the general structure of our podcast is going to be that we'll watch the movie before the official podcast comes out. Uh, we will record us watching the movie, and we'll even record a little segment that you're going to see next thing of us discussing what we might know going into the movie. Mm -hmm. And then we just discuss it for you guys and give our takes as people who didn't get to watch it till their adult years, and just with the history that we have behind us. Rebecca, anything you want the audience to know about you on our inaugural episode? Well, as Jamin said, both homeschooled, both bit sheltered, both one of seven kids, right? Yes. Yes. I'm the middle child, which tells you everything you need to know about me. And Jamin is the second from the youngest, so forgive all of his quirks. <laughs> Heard. Heard. But this is supposed to be about me. Yeah, I, after college, I moved out to LA. I went to an acting school called Art of Acting, or Stella Adler Art of Acting Studio. Um, I just graduated, so you could say I'm pretty much an expert on all things um, acting, directing, cinematography. Um, if I had to think of one expert in the world, it would be myself, so you'll be getting... <laughs> 
You'll be getting this expert opinion for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah, I live in LA right now. I, uh, my survival jobs are, I'm a nanny. I take care of a little baby and I'm a, uh, uh, I'm a cashier at a grocery store in a bougie part of LA where I run into many interesting people. And for funsies, I play Dungeons and Dragons and that's pretty much all I have time for. Mm. That's kind of my only hobby that I'm active in. Like, I've done painting, sure. I've done reading. I sew, I can embroider. I have a patch jacket I've been working on for four wow. years wow. that I got complimented by a stranger yesterday. Ego In the inflated. 11th hour, Rebecca found a million fun facts that she just fed to us at Rapid Fire. Yeah, Rebecca That's and I me. went to the same college. I was a music major. And I was like, she already hit the things. I was raised in a family of seven, went to the same college and post-college I am thriving in the pet industry actually with my, with the, my music experience. I actually recently just got a job as an assistant manager at a doggy daycare that operates inside of a dog bar. So just very dog oriented here. I get to bring my wonderful two dogs to work with me. And I really enjoy my job. It's a it's a great way to pay the bills is to get to hang out with dogs all day. And what you'll notice between the two of us is that Rebecca has real hard experience in the acting sphere, in the performance, in the film, maybe even industry. And I have zero other than that. I just watch a lot of movies. And so experience we are probably in the film industry is a little bit of a stretch. But... We we. <laughs> are maybe the two most qualified people to have these discussions. Like I said, expert. For those of you who don't know us so thoroughly quite yet, nearly everything we've said other than the hard fact of like our family and our jobs was joking. <laughs> None of us are quite so high and mighty of ourselves. Don't tell them that. <laughs> no, no, there's, I can already hear all the people who are like, they're a little bit full of themselves. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> it's just our sense of humor. I also just want to hit on, both of us grew up in evangelical Christian homes. Both of us have gone through our own journeys with that post, uh, leaving home and post-college and we wound up in our own places that's not really what the focus of the podcast is though this is not an anti-christian podcast or an anti-sheltering your kids podcast even everyone grows up everyone gets to their own place in their life and it's always fun to look back and see the things that were a standard in your childhood that maybe you disagree with and mm -hmm. just get to unpack that now of like as a result of the way that we were raised we have been not a part of this cultural phenomenon and so it's just fun to look at that through the microscope of going into it for the first time when everyone else was raised on it. That's really the focus of the podcast. We may get into occasionally different aspects of our belief systems or our childhoods, but that's really not the main topic of discussion here. Yeah. And then on that note, there are other, like we, we mentioned earlier, sort of opening the door of some, some movies we haven't seen, not because we weren't allowed to, but just it just missed our radar. And I think that a yeah. lot more people are actually in that boat than... Yeah they would like to admit I was every time I mentioned this podcast to somebody they're like yeah there's a lot of movies I haven't seen either and they yeah. had a very quote-unquote normal upbringing yeah. um so if you're in that boat welcome aboard yeah this is for anyone who is truly late to the watch party 
without further ado, <laughs> just got to plug my own podcast on my podcast. The So without further ado, <laughs> we're going to get into our first segment called Preconceived Notions, which we recorded previous to recording this, where we just discussed what it is that we knew going in, what we expected, what we didn't expect. And I would say we just already knew everything about Fight Club, wouldn't you, Rebecca? I would venture to say that there was nothing new that I learned watching this movie. Truly. Saw all of it coming just from the name itself. We clocked it. Yeah. I saw the soap, and I was like, great, I already know the ending. <laughs> I So spoilers for Fight Club, everybody. This is your moment to pause it, maybe. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. And then join us. You're going to get to hear a little bit of our reactions to the movie. And then we will discuss it for a healthy amount of time. You can find it on Amazon. You can rent it for $3.99 or buy it for $4.99. Spoiler, Jamin and I both bought it because we are big spenders. A so <laughs> truly working a full-time job or two, you get to spend money on adult things like the movie Fight Club on Amazon Prime. Anyway, let's get into <laughs> the preconceived notions. For the things you know, and the things you think you know, these are the preconceived notions. Hey everyone, welcome to Preconceived Notions. We're recording this actually before anything else in the podcast, because this is what we do before we watch the actual movie, because the whole point of this segment is that we talk about what we know going into the movie, or maybe what we assume going into the movie, before we actually officially watch the movie. And in this case, we are watching Fight Club, which neither one of us has seen. So we will both have some things to contribute to this segment. Rebecca, would you like to go first? Do you have any preconceived notions? Any information? Yeah, this will go pretty quickly. I don't really know anything <laughs> about Fight Club. I know that presumably there is fighting, in some sort of club situation. I know that there are uh, rules, and that the first rule is that you don't talk about Fight Club. And I know that Brad Pitt is in it, and that concludes everything that I know about Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> our, our knowledge going in is pretty, is pretty damn similar, because I, I didn't even really know when this movie came out. I don't know anything about it i don't know the plot i don't even know the genre like i don't i was trying to suss that out before we started recording <laughs> i have no con is it a dark comedy is it action thriller i have no idea what to go in expecting i didn't even know brad pitt was in it until rebecca told me Spoilers. and then i was it 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 shook my world when I opened up to <laughs> rent the movie and Edward Norton popped up. <laughs> I thought Sylvester Stallone was in this movie. And I'm not thinking of Rocky. Like, I just thought he was also in Fight Club. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he is. But, like, that was... The, I was expecting, like, Sylvester Stallone vibes and I got Edward Norton on the thumbnail. Yeah. I know the same things. I know that it's about a fight club. I don't know if that means, like, kickboxing or, like, illegal activities. I feel I like know it's that there's like bare-fisted. There's a little bit of conjecture on my part because I don't know. I feel like it's got to be like pretty underground. Sure, sure, sure. I'm picturing literally underground, like <laughs> sub-level, like parking garage situation. It's like all concrete. Like everybody is standing in a circle, and then in the middle, there's a single light bulb. <laughs> correct, and in the middle, the two guys are just like beating the crap out of each other. 
Which I, like, I have a question. I'm so. Why is that illegal? If two people agree to fight, why can't they just fight? Or could they? Is it that there's betting guess, going on that makes it illegal? I guess to prevent like people being taken advantage of. I guess you could always argue that like they said that this was fine, you know. Oh, sure, sure. But sure. it, but like without thinking too much into it, it does feel similar to things like like weed, where it's like it's kind of wild that the. Sorry, we're getting into our political views here on the podcast. <laughs> not to make this a political podcast, but it's like <laughs> this political. It's a substance right <laughs> that's like not actually harmful for you, and like if someone wants to consume it, but the government's like. No. No. Not on not our on watch. My watch. You don't. It's like, what? <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm avoiding looking at this like one sentence description for dear <clears throat> life. But I it's just like, had to press play so I, that I wouldn't read it. I don't know like what the story being told is. I want to believe here's my assumptions about the movie. I want to believe that it's like we're watching like a social network like downward spiral kind of situation maybe mm-hmm. that it's like maybe maybe Edward Norton gets caught I feel like there's got to be someone from outside the fight club obviously for some for there to be a reason for them to like not look into camera and just tell us the rules <laughs> and so it's like sure, sure, I feel sure. like maybe Edward Norton is a new guy on the block he gets like you know winds up in the fight club and like starts off being like no guys this is not good and then he like spirals out of control and like wants to like or, dominate or maybe he like takes over the fight club maybe oh. he becomes like the new kingpin of it i think that's yeah i think edward norton's gonna end the movie in charge of the fight club but i'm also i recently watched the art of self-defense and that's kind of just the plot of that movie so maybe i'm just Maybe which I don't know is that movie a reference to Fight Club? I don't know. The Art of Self Defense. I also I starring Jesse Eisenberg. Yes. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. That movie but I is bonkers. Yeah, I had to have because I needed to like I couldn't hold that inside of me. Yeah. That movie, but no, I also I forgot there is one more thing I didn't know that I do know going in. I'm pretty sure I hear that there's like a twist. Wait, I was like just about to say n- the same thing. My friend the asked me if no- I knew the plot twist. And I was like, no. <laughs> I don't and she know was the like, twist. Okay, good. I Otherwise don't know there the wouldn't twist. be a point. I know that it's been brought up in I don't remember what at this point, but there was another movie that was being dis- like discussed where someone was like, It's a very fight club twist. And I was like, There's a twist in Fight Club. Uh, so it's we truly have mirror images of our knowledge going in, except you had the leg up on me on the Brad Pitt info. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't have any other assumptions about the movie. I expect it to not be a very funny movie i expect it to be pretty serious okay yeah i i expect it to be pretty like action it's like it's rated r and i'm gonna assume it's just like very like violent Mm -hmm. i don't i've i mean this movie never came up even as a discussion so i have no idea why i might not have seen it or like been allowed to watch it but i have to assume that there's just like some content in it that my mom was like not for Mm -hmm. like whether it be like violence or language or whether it just be like the concept of crime i don't know right right so any 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 concluding thoughts rebecca before we get into the movie i i hope to be thoroughly shocked i Mm. want to be picking my jaw up off of the floor in an hour and a half or whenever the twist happens I'm hoping for a twist that we have to, like, we have to pause the movie <laughs> to just, like, yeah. sit and process it for a yeah, minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I guess without further ado, 
Welcome to Fight Club. Don't tell anyone about it. Let's get into the movie, y'all. <laughs> Fight Club in three, two, one, play. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Jared Leto. Jared Leto. This is the office from the Matrix. None of this is what I expected. I feel like I clicked on the wrong movie. I'm questioning this, that doctor's credentials a little. This feels somewhat erotic. Not the bitch tits. What are they gonna do when they find out he doesn't have testicular cancer? They're gonna chop off his balls. This movie has said the word tits to me more times than I would prefer to ever hear in my life. Has he considered going to therapy? Okay, but what is happening right now? I feel like I missed something. Whoa, that guy is so cool. Oh, oh, that wasn't his car? He is even cooler. I hate when a volcano decimates my game show night. I know Snoop Dogg hates this movie. This is literally the Matrix. I'm so nervous that the twist of the movie is that it's like a dark comedy that's happening in the background of the Matrix. <laughs> so they start the fight club? They're the founders. What city is this in? The Matrix. Was he naked Was he just naked? then? I have a crush on Tyler Durden. They do go underground. Uh, we've got a little basement going on now. I did not know there were so many rules. That was a lot. Hands down, that was the wildest depiction of a sex scene I've ever seen. Nobody is saying his name. And I don't know what that could even mean. His junk is hanging out. He wears his pants so low. So it's low. It's alarming. As far as I remember, we have yet to see Jared Leto. They just have to hang on for two more years. 9-11 is coming. Oh my god. I have a new theory. He's dead? Who's Louie? Chloe. She was the one with the headscarf. Oh, the Meryl Streep skeleton? Yeah. Is Tyler not real? Is Tyler in his head? Is he Tyler and Jack? I am also an all-singing, all-dancing crap of this world. I'm at the point where I'm searching so hard to try to find the plot twist that I'm just doubting every single tiny thing. See, if Tyler's in his head, he's having an argument with himself. They're dead. They're dead. That's, I'm sure of it. Death. Purgatory. No one told me this was like a mind movie. <laughs> I got the chills. He looks like Macklemore in this drip. Just get me some gauze. I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. Just gonna throw something on. Tis but a flesh wound. <laughs> a little bit of a pressure. It'll be fine. I don't know if I even could have predicted within the first like 30 minutes of that movie what this movie would become. I stopped writing notes at a certain point because I From didn't even know what to write down. All right, guys, we're back. Woo. We have watched the movie. We've experienced the Fight Club. I don't think we said that in the intro at all. That we're, we're watching, watching Fight, Fight Club. Club this week. I think we did, but in a jokey way. We said something about being in fourth grade and everybody talking about Fight Club. That's true. That's true. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so we watched Fight Club. Boy, what an experience. I have to say for this podcast, for the development of this podcast, we watched the movie Muppets from Space. 
<laughs> and that what like our typical movie watching spiel is that we watch it on FaceTime and then we like debrief afterwards. But with this podcast, it's also structured that we don't have the time for that. And so we off we have to like re- watch the movie one night and then discuss on another night, which is infuriating. And with Muppets from Space, we were just kind of like, all right, well, we'll talk about it later. And with this one, we were like fighting for our lives not <laughs> to discuss it immediately. There was so much to discuss. Rebecca has prepared for us the recap of the movie and ah, yes. some behind some some trivia facts. So Rebecca, the mic is yours. Okay, so this is a fun fact about actually the DVD copy, which we did not see. We purchased it on Amazon Prime, but I thought that this was a fun thing because we didn't get to see it, but it happens. After the copyright warning on the DVD, there's another warning, and this warning is <gasps> from Tyler Durden, and it only flashes for a second. It says, if you are reading this, then this warning is for you. Every word you read of this useless fine print is another second off your life. Don't you have other things to do? Is your life so empty that you honestly can't think of a better way to spend these moments? Or are you so impressed with authority that you give respect and credence to all who claim it? Do you read everything you're supposed to read? Do you think everything you're supposed to think? Buy what you're told you should want? Get out of your apartment. Meet a member of the opposite sex. Stop excessive shopping and masturbation. Quit your job. Start a fight. Prove you're alive. If you don't claim your humanity, you will become a statistic. You have been warned. Dot, dot, dot. Tyler. I thought that was fun. Wow. <laughs> wow. I had, in in me listening to some other people's thoughts on the movie, I heard someone mention it, but I didn't know what it said. Mm-hmm. In their first fist fight in the parking lot, Edward Norton actually hit Brad Pitt in the ear because the director told him to actually punch him. He was supposed to punch him in the shoulder and he wanted to catch him off guard and have a realistic reaction, which I don't agree with ethically at all, but I don't like stuff This was like the 90s. That. There were no rules. Oh gosh. I mean, we could go we could do a whole episode on the Wizard of Oz <laughs> and the madness that was happening behind the scenes there. Um so yeah, yeah he I actually never, I never think it's hit okay. him in the ear and apparently that reaction is like brad pitt's genuine reaction that's why he's like why the ear man why the ear because he was supposed to hit him in the shoulder so this movie was based off of a novel by the same name yeah which checks that was one of my first notes was that the script is written like a book and Uh apparently in the book they had like the you know you know when um tyler's talking about like the recipes for homemade explosives and he's like oh all you have to do is mix this with this and like boom nobody knows like that any things around your house can be made blah 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 apparently in the book the like recipe that he gives for explosives are like factually scientifically accurate but they were afraid of people watching the movie and then making a bunch of bombs so the recipes that they give in the movie do not make bombs good the the scene where where Tyler tells everybody to go out and start a fight that's like their homework assignment and that one guy has the hose and he's like hosing the priest and like keeps trying to get, pick a fight with the priest yes. apparently the camera shakes for a second in it it's because the cameraman couldn't stop laughing at how ridiculous it was <laughs> I like that sort of things it makes it reminds me that everybody's a person <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to summarize like seven of these notes. And it was a hard fight to get this movie made. It was like producers didn't want to produce it because of the controversial themes. 
studios didn't want to fund it because they kept asking for more money for the budget like certain directors would like read the script and then pass on it and then like they wanted certain actors for it and certain actors would pass on the script because it was too dark and then they finally made the movie and then Fox Studios didn't want to advertise it like it was for the movie because they were afraid that audiences wouldn't come see it if they knew like how dark it was so they advertised it like an action fun like Brad Pitt starring Brad Pitt like all of the promo was Brad Pitt even though Edward Norton is the main character of the whole entire movie. It was a wild ride just to get this movie made. It made, it was like a $70 million budget ballpark. They only made like 30 million in box office nationally, a hundred million worldwide, but then they had a huge sale when it went to DVD and that ended up being their success and it becoming a cult classic wasn't their initial box office release. It was actually the, the DVD release and people liking it after the fact. The, that scene at the bar scene where um, Tyler and the narrator are talking to each other in the first time was improv and they shot it like a crazy amount of times, just giving them a general like vibe of what to say. And then Brad Pitt and Edward Norton would improv and then they just slash cut it together. They Frankensteined the scene together from just like a bunch of improv scenes. This movie was wild. Reese Witherspoon was gonna play Marla, but she turned it down because it was too dark of a role. And they deferred to Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> Who apparently said, before this movie played like the ingenue in her movies. And then, uh, I mean, and we all see her career. Like, this is like the trademark of her career. This was a, this was the moment for her. I guess. You know the title sequence? That it's like following the neurons and it's like the whole like inner body. The path that it travels is from the fear. Like where you process fear in your brain all the way uh, out which I thought was really cool. And they got, like, medical illustrators and, like, animators and, like, all of that. They did it from, like, a very medical standpoint of that actual, like, tracing the neuron path and, like, through the brains into the muscles and, like, all of that, which I thought was really cool. A couple of fight clubs started in real life after the movie came out. Yeah, of course. Of course. The scene where they are destroying their assignment is to destroy a piece of art and wreck a coffee shop at the same time and so they blow up that like sculpture ball and it rolls into the coffee shop two things that was supposed to be a starbucks and then starbucks was like no you can't destroy our store like they didn't know that their store was going to be featured as like being destroyed so then they pulled out their sponsorship or their like allowing to use the name of Starbucks, so they had to change it to, like, generic coffee shop. But it was another, this was another, like, three-paragraph explanation about trying to get this sequence shot. Because in order for them to not actually, like, it was, like, the ground, the, like, the ground could, or the the ground or the frame or something could only hold 150 pounds, even though for the ball to be heavy enough to do all of that damage, it would have had to be, like, almost 300 pounds, so they made that sculpture ball that was, like, 100 pounds, but then it just looked really stupid because it was so light that it was, like, bouncing instead of, like, heavily rolling and crashing into things. It was, like, bouncing along. It didn't sink in the water. It was, like, 
like skimming on top of it. It hit the window and cr like shattered it, but then bounced off rather than like going into the shop. So they like shot it over the course of way too long. And then when they hired their special effects company, they like had to hire a company just to edit this sequence and had to put in like tons and tons and tons of hours of trying to like animate the ground crumbling and it going into certain places. So it was one of the things where they tried to shoot it practical and they did as much as they could, but then they ended up CGing a lot of it anyway. So it's a mix of CG and, but it was just an absolute mess trying to, trying to get it done. I don't know if these are interesting fun facts or not. Hopefully they are. I think the rest of them are pretty much related to the twist and the like twist. all of the clues basically of what the... Which I read a lot of those. Those were the only trivia facts I did read. Those were fun. And some of them I'm aghast that I missed. I was surprised um, by how many I... S well, I wasn't. I didn't see a lot of them. But I did clock a couple of them and I was very proud of myself for noticing not that it made me I was surprised how many we both like caught but did not connect what it meant. Exactly. exactly. Literally in the smash cut at one point I go nobody is saying his name but I yeah. don't know why no, that you would totally be. And it was that. like is like And then I just word for word important. said is Tyler in his head? <laughs> I know. I know. So do you want to do your your recap? Yes. For those who 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 don't have the time to watch the movie and and are also late to the watch party. Fight Club, 1999. I just called the narrator Jack just for, like, sh streamlining this. Sure. Right. Jack, unfulfilled by his job and possessions, suffering from chronic insomnia, attempts to find some emotional respite by attending support groups, posing as a sufferer of various diseases. He finds temporary relief before his bliss is disturbed when another imposter, Marla Singer, begins attending the same groups. The two agree to split which groups they attend. On a flight home from a business trip, Jack meets soap salesman Tyler Durden. Jack returns home to find his apartment and all his belongings have been destroyed by an explosion. Disheartened by the loss of his material goods, he calls Tyler and they meet at a bar. Tyler tells him he is trapped by consumerism. In the parking lot, he asks Jack to hit him, and they have a spontaneous fistfight. They find the experience cathartic and agreed to do it again. Jack moves into Tyler's home, and they have further fights outside the bar, which attract growing crowds of men. The fights then move to the bar's basement, where the men form the infamous fight club. Marla overdoses and calls Jack for help. He ignores her, but Tyler goes to her apartment to save her. They begin a sexual relationship, much to Jack's irritation. Tyler warns Jack never to talk to Marla about him. Tyler begins recruiting members, including Jack's friend from one of his support groups, Robert, to his new organization, Promoting Anarchy. Project Mayhem, behind Jack's back. The group engages in acts of, vandal in acts of vandalism, increasingly troubling Jack. After Jack complains that Tyler has excluded him, Tyler reveals that he intentionally caused the explosion at Jack's condo. Tyler disappears one night, and Robert is killed by the police fleeing from a sabotage operation. Jack tries to end the project without success. He follows the paper trail to cities Tyler had visited, discovering Project Mayhem has spread throughout the country. In one city, a project member addresses Jack as Mr. Durden. Confused, Jack calls Marla and discovers that she also believes he is Tyler. Tyler then appears in his hotel room and reveals that they are disassociated personalities. Jack has assumed the, the personality of Tyler when he believed he was sleeping. Jack blacks out. 
When he returns to the house, he uncovers Tyler's plan to erase debt by destroying buildings that contain credit card records. He apologizes to Marla and warns her that she is in danger, but she refuses to listen. He makes multiple attempts to thwart the project, but is headed off by members of Project Mayhem and Tyler, who subdues him. With Tyler holding him hostage, Jack tries to kill Tyler by firing his gun into his own mouth, shooting through his cheek. Tyler dies and disappears. Marla is brought to the building. Jack and Marla reconcile, and holding hands, the two watch as Project Mayhem detonates collapsing buildings around them. Honestly, that was a very concise summary of the film. It took me almost an hour (laughs) to (laughs) whittle down this insane plot to like a couple minute summary every single sentence of that summary is like enough plot for a fast paced tv show but that's almost one of the things i liked about the movie was that i don't know what i would say the plot is like i know what i could say like oh like the movie is about these two guys who start a fight club But I mean, like, throughout the movie, like, it's not like there's a MacGuffin. It's not like there's a this or that. Like, the story just goes. Yeah. And so it's like, there's a lot of scenes where they're just talking. And that leads to this idea that leads to this thing. Like, it's, and, but like, there's lots of movies where there's not a whole lot of plot and just a lot of monologues. And that's not a good thing. And in this one, it was always interesting. And it was always keeping me on the edge of my seat. This movie kind of started out. This movie almost feels like it was written in reverse. Like, they took the end and then, like, branched it out to the beginning. So when you watch it Mm. front to back, it's like so many things are happening at the beginning. There's all Mm -hmm. these new characters. There's all this new information. There's all these new ideas and everything. But it all funnels down to the ending. Everything ends up being significant later down the line. It's just not a very... It's not like a plot line that goes in a crazy line it's like a tree that like funnels into a branch or into a trunk which that's almost one of my criticisms of the movie this is a light criticism it did not ruin the experience for me but especially if you go in knowing that there's a twist you catch on to the way that they seem to have wrote it in reverse very quickly and so for like for the first like 20 minutes of the movie i was like what is going on What's happening? Because I'm expecting a twist, like, I was constantly like, is it supposed to be so inconsistent? Is it, like, I was reading into everything, Mm -hmm. and it made for a little bit of a disjointed viewing experience. Yeah. And it felt like I missed out on some, like, pivotal lines in monologues because so much of it was written in such an intense way and, like, weird way Mm -hmm. that I was, like, so caught off guard all the time that I couldn't focus. Which, again, is not me saying that that made it bad altogether, but I do think that, like, I don't think it needed to come out the gate so off the walls <laughs> for me personally. <laughs> this movie, it was, I don't even know what, like, the one phrase to be like, this movie was like this. Like, there's not even an analogy that I can think of because it was so Truly. many things. The way that it, they started with the, like, the flash forward and then it went back in time because they showed us the very last scene, like the beginning of the oh, last that's scene. That's also true. I that's how about it that. started with his gut, with the gun in his mouth, and being <laughs> that like, is this what we... is 
came in on. <laughs> yeah, that's the opening. It, yeah, it's that, that animated sequence from the fear receptor in his brain all the way out to his mouth, and there's a gun in his mouth, and that's how we start the movie, is him being like, the city will burn in two minutes. And then it's like, how did we get here? And then it goes into yeah. this man who has the life of Neo from The Matrix, and then just 30 minutes of like lost Matrix footage before we meet Brad Pitt. <laughs> Oh, oh! I was gonna say this leads me to like just like the genre of the movie and the expectation of like this is a thriller with the whole like hostage situation and guns and top of an office floor and somebody's tied up in a chair and then it feels like a psychological thriller because it's a it's a thinker movie, it's a yeah it's not an action adventure movie at all. My first note is actually in all caps meatloaf. And then in all caps, Jared Leto. Those two cast members threw me for a loop. That was during the opening, se- the credit sequence of me reacting to who was in it. Yes. I couldn't handle that information that early on. And then I did write down, they are hitting me with so much exposition so fast. And I think that was when he's narrating with the gun in his mouth. And I was like, there's two, I can't, what are you, I can't even hear you. <laughs> what yep. are, what's happening? Yeah. And then I wrote down the revolution with a bunch of question marks. Because I, I, I think I was just thrown at the scale that mm. this movie was about to head towards. And then the very next note is, <laughs> Bob had bitch tits. <laughs> and what's Actually, fun there's... is that the intro of the movie takes about as long as what you just said. And we are given the entire setup of what is about to happen as the city is going to be destroyed. And then his face plunges into a huge set of breasts and we go straight into the meeting of victims of testicular cancer yeah i have three notes in a row that say tits because i said bob had bitch tits question mark the tits hung enormous the way you think of gods as big can't believe that line just can't i can't believe i even (laughs) just said it and then immediately after i just wrote i just finished out my notes on it because i just said so much tits he says the word tits more times than I have heard in my life. That was, that was, it was just so many times that it just yeah. caught me off guard. Yeah. Um, what I think um, was really successful about the way that this movie opened was that I think that it did a very, very good job. I think I briefly said this right after we finished the movie was that they did a really good job of putting us as the audience member into the narrator's shoes where like everything was very disoriented like disorienting the mm-hmm. way that the like locations would change so fast and the like development of like I'm going through this so I decided to do that like happened very fast and it really like I felt like I needed a good night's sleep like 20 minutes into the movie yeah. because of how disorienting how like the everything from the color scheme to the way that things were shot the like one second flashes of Tyler that were happening Two of Wait. which I caught. I wrote them no. down. I caught two of them. There were four, and I caught two of them. No, you didn't. I did. You, knew, you caught that they were Brad Pitt, or you just saw something flash? Or, okay, I wrote down man in red, because that's what I saw. Stop. And then later, he comes in with a red leather jacket. That I was wrote, a twist reveal to me I wrote whenever I found out later. I wrote person in meeting, and then I wrote flash of somebody in doctor. Those were the two that I caught was uh, when he's talking to the doctor and the doctors was like a terrible doctor, by the way. But maybe that was just the 90s. They were like, go home and sl- and and 
stop being a bitch. I was going to say sleep it off, but he's an insomniac, so that would have been in poor taste. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, that doctor would have said it, you know. (laughs) But that doctor was telling him off in the hallway, and there's this flash of a person right behind him who's like, "It's, it's just a flash. I, like, thought that I had just, like, blinked at a weird time at first, and so I, like... I just felt really disoriented, but then in the meeting, I distinctly was not blinking, and I saw a person in red flash behind the speaker who was, like, opening the meeting and, like, being... It's right before the speaker breaks down crying. There's a man in red standing behind him, and it flashes for one second, and I was like, that was weird, and I wrote it down. That is crazy! That's 1 24th of a second that you caught there. That is insane. somehow did. Wow. This is also what I feel we have to discuss in this beginning portion of the movie is the matrix of it all. Because I feel like people, maybe this is a common thing, or but I also feel like people are going to be thrown off in the smash cut by how many times we compared it to the matrix. I was a little shocked when I googled before we started recording, the matrix and the fight club came out the same year. Yeah. But Fight Club feels like an homage to The Matrix almost in this beginning yes. portion, especially not just with the theming and with the story being told, but there's like a green tint over everything. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this during the movie whenever because after he which now it makes sense. But after he meets Tyler, the green tint goes away. Yeah. And I was trying to piece it together because I knew there was an otherworldly twist in this movie. I proposed the theory, not joking, when I said, is this The Matrix, but as a dark comedy? I was so, I was like, this opening beginning is such the vibe of The Matrix. And then you were calling out, you were like, this looks exactly like The House. And I was like, no, but it honestly does. And so I was like, is that going to be the twist? Is we like see Neo? Like, is the whole thing that nobody has told me about is that like, this is in the same universe, but it's more of a dark comedy? And it was just, it was because of all of those ideas being presented is why we, a lot of what you hear in the smash cut of us comparing it to the matrix is in like the first, like 20 to 30 minutes. It loses its matrix vibes after that. I also just like, I need a side by side to be made of like the office that he, that the narrator works in and the office that Neo works in and then the house that they like kid that they like it's raining outside and they like bring Neo in and then they're like going up all the stairs yeah. and then they do the red pill green the red pill blue pill scene like that is the house that Tyler lives in like you cannot convince me that that wasn't the same set I just need side it was by side which they were they were they were released the same year so maybe it was maybe they were recycling it sets. was the 90s there was but only it- five sets to shoot on It is a movie where it feels like they set up their ideas and they did pay off. Because again, within the first like couple of scenes, I clocked this consumerism discussion. Like I was like, this thing he's saying about like Planet Starbucks, like it is I'm I'm hearing it. And -hmm. like they followed through with those ideas. I really liked them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of disc I I heard that the director basically said that this movie proposes like an examination of a problem and does not propose the solution. And so, like, there's a lot of room for interpretation here. And I, I will say, say, I was that almost... they do propose a solution, but they don't propose a argue... solution that is, like, a viable, like, realistic solution. I would argue that they kind of do, but, like, that's the fun <laughs> of the movie. Burn it all I... down. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, think it's more in the, I think it's more in the subtext than anything. Sure. But there's... I, and I think... I'll spoiler alert. I think it hinges on, on Marla. But... Ooh. Like, 
I really felt like I did need to hear other people's thoughts because I was so distracted by the twist and by trying to piece it together and by the like nonsense of the movie. Mm. There were so many things I missed and I almost felt nervous coming into this podcast because especially when I look into it, like there's so many people who hold like the messaging of this movie and the themes of it and the unpacking of them and the cultural impact to such a high regard that I was just like, I'm not on the same level as them. And it's like, I like I'm in a night. I'm just not going to absorb all of that. Yeah. Like they've had 22, 23 years to absorb it all. And I'm have one night. And right. so it's like, I have a more surface level view. I'm still wrapping my mind around it. And I think that's okay. We can't save the podcast for like two months from now when I fully <laughs> processed Fight Club. We're going to still um, be talking about Fight Club in like six episodes. <laughs> truly. I mean, I think we almost picked this for the first movie at random, but what a first movie. I'm like, it shook <laughs> me to my core. So I just think that like they set up these this consumerism angle and, and, and it played into a lot of the same ideas as what was at the beginning of The Matrix. And so, mm-hmm. but I, I was here for it. The, I, did you have any notes on that before I move on? Um, I'm just going through my notes. notes I know I have a lot more notes than you. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca got information overload about one hour into the movie and stopped taking notes yeah. altogether. Oh, I just wrote that the, ins- the insomniac nature of this was making it very difficult for me to take any plot point serious i would say until the fight club was established and i was like okay so this is mm-hmm. real because there were so many yeah. instances of him like having a dream or him like imagining a scenario and then it like rewinding or just like hard cutting to him waking up and being like oh that didn't happen that i feel like i didn't really like yeah. lock into the movie actually being a plot line until yeah until basically they had their fist fight in the parking lot. Like the scene where he was like, so I'm a recall specialist. I was like, no, you're not. Like <laughs> in what reality are you this? Because that scene was so out of left field. And then it was like, yeah, but he was, he was on a business trip for that, but it was just, it was very disorienting. I, I at yeah. one point tried to write down the plot of what was actually going on in an attempt to track it. I don't know. For some reason, Rebecca had a hard time following this at the beginning. And I got all the way up I did to too. Calls Tyler. This <laughs> I, this might set the bar in a bad place for us, for the some of the listeners in like our viewing comprehension. Because I pulled up the Wikipedia synopsis during the movie when we were like 20 minutes in and I just read it up until like what I had already seen and then I just like kept that on deck for if I ever felt like I missed anything <laughs> it helped tremendously I, I was like, they're only, I like the, the Wikipedia synopsis is only going to put in the relevant information so that way I know that like whether I've missed something important or not because yeah. I yeah I think that the beginning portion is just a bit messy and probably works incredibly on second viewing but like i think it should work incredibly both times in different Mm. ways i think that's the best i think that's the best version of a plot twist is one where it's like they've set up the seeds you think it's going one way oops it goes a different way effective twist and then you rewatch the movie and it's like watching another movie yeah yeah, yeah. but it worked both times my uh mentor slash director in college shout out to casey cox uh something that she said during like one of the first plays i was in with her was she said the best plot twist is the one that you should have seen coming so like in my mind that's like 
if I took away anything from college, it was that quote. And so mm-hmm. like, it goes along with what you're saying. Like you should be watching thinking it's going one way. Not that you should be, not that this is the only way a plot twist works, but then when it twists and you go back and you're like, oh, the evidence was there all along. In this case, right. it was like they just threw a bucket of paint at the camera and then it was like, surprise, and they like wrote in the paint yeah. what it was. And it's like, that's, yeah. okay. I don't think it ruins a twist if they see it coming. Like, I, like, sure. I, like I, you and I figured this out ahead of time. And if anything, I feel like that made it even more unbelievable when it happened. Yeah, for sure. So. I think it also coupled that along with the fact that this was a book that they made into a movie. And there was just mm-hmm. like in a book, you can pack in every single subplot you want. You know, you have 400 pages yeah. to to have 17 different subplots and this person ending up being significant 200 pages later. But when you translate things into movie you do need to slim down and i think that there was just like one or two subplots too many going on in the beginning that made it difficult to follow for me i feel like people are gonna listen to this and be like mm-hmm. oh so you didn't like it i loved this movie i had a great Honestly, time i'm just trying to like convey the the feeling of me feeling like I was such a dumb person for the first 30 minutes because yes. I was just trying to process everything that was happening. Yeah. I'm sure watching Which it I a will... second time, it will be, like you were saying, much more enjoyable. I'll be like, oh, it was this and it was that and that's how this fits and all of these pieces make so much more sense. But there was something you said, we were like an hour and a half into the movie and you were like, I feel like they've just been giving us puzzle pieces this whole time, but I don't know how a single one fits with another Connects one. to even each other. Yeah. yeah. I said, I've got like 18 puzzle pieces and all of them are interesting, but I don't know how any of them connect to each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just like, and I was like, I know when the reveal happens, they will all click into place simultaneously. But yep. I was lost. Yep. Which I will give the movie a little credit that I think a level of that can be credited to the fact that we went, like not everyone who goes into the movie knows there's a twist. And we did. So we were like True. extra on lookout, which maybe distracted us. Yeah. But I don't think that that's the core of the problem. But yeah, Edward Norton, um, who in my notes until a certain point, until I caught on to the fact that he was using fake names, I missed that line. Mm. Um, he's referred to as Cornelius because that was the <laughs> name tag he wore in the first group. And I was like, oh, his, that was in my notes. As I said, his name is Cornelius. <laughs> I was confused. But he goes to the support groups and I thought that was a very goofy and wild, but it was a very effective quick catch up of just who he is and where he's at in his life. Because I wrote in my notes, this is so sad, but like kind of relatable. I was like, this man is going to support groups for support. Like he's literally just going to like get human connection and like feel seen. And, and I was like, that is, that is so, like, I get that, like, at the core of it, it's helping him sleep. But, like, there's a reason he's crying. Mm-hmm. And, like, that leads right into Helena Bonham Carter. I said that they played very well off of each other in that first interaction. Like, it was very enjoyable to watch whenever he, like, first calls her out. Like, mm-hmm. they were, like, electric. Yeah. Like, I, I I don't know. There was something about, like, the energy between them. I was, like, invested. They had very and then, snappy energy. I this this starts to touch on some of what I think the movie's themes are and what mm. I think the solution is but like I described the when it's after they're literally bartering who gets to go to which support group yeah. when they have found someone who is just like them 
who they could just support each other. And yeah. I wrote down in my notes, two very lonely people just looking to be heard, supported, argue over who gets to fake it at which groups rather than support each other. Like that was so intense yeah. like to like to see and i and it was a, again it was a very show don't tell it was a very effective way of yeah. showing where they both are at and they're so similar that they're like turning each other off mm-hmm. i loved all of that it I was fantastic and- because he it's it's so interesting that he meets somebody who is so like him but his mm-hmm. own perception of himself and his life is filled with so much hatred that he immediately just hates her for who she is, yes. even though she is yes. him. And then this entire, you know, second persona that he develops who is everything that he is not. It's the opposite of him. And he is just idolizing this completely different person. Of He, he basically sees himself in the mirror and hates it. And then creates this yes. alter ego that is compl- like just the opposite. It's everything that he's not that is his idol that he wants to be. And then that, in the end, is his enemy, and it's Marla who is, like, you know, what ends up being the reconciling at the end and what is the solution. Yes. Yes. There's... Listen, I almost, like... I have so many thoughts on Marla, and I feel like came out... Like, they all were developed after the movie because in the movie... me too, me too. When I was, like, processing her in the moment, I almost was, like, a little upset because I was, like, Helena Bottoms Carter's character was useless. Like, she didn't need to be in this movie. And, like, it's disappointing that the movie has only one female character and, like, she's just used as, like, a she sex symbol. She did feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She just felt like the skirt of the movie for a while. But I think that she plays, like, such a larger role than that. But I feel like I have, like, those all tie into the ending for me. So I have to save those for the end. The only other thing I will say is that I really liked the way... They didn't make a big deal out of it. Again, it was a very nice just like directing choice. The way she walks into traffic. She does it multiple times in that scene. She's just walking back and forth, not looking around her at all. And it was such an effective way of... I wrote down the way she walked into traffic without looking around at all was an effective communication of her not fearing death. Yeah. That like she's come to peace with that. The way that... Jack has not come to peace with it. Mm-hmm. And like it depicts her as like wild and crazy and just like reckless, which I think is actually the opposite of what she is. Mm. So we do our little travel montage in which I wrote down what is happening, the traveling. But I did think <laughs> that, the travel it montage was during was that a, montage that I started writing down what I thought the plot was up until this point. <laughs> it just comes so out of nowhere. Yeah, But that was a very effective and quick way for him to wind up in an organic situation to meet Tyler. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down. I liked that. And, I mean, Tyler Durden, as the narrator depicts him, is a caricature of a cool person. The way that yes. his wardrobe just gets progressively more Macklemore throughout the entire movie. The way that he, like... When he's leaving the airport, the way that he steals a car just by, like, jumping into the driver's seat and, like, driving away. I even said in the reaction, I'm like, he is so cool. That wasn't even his car! That's even cooler! Like, it was, like, the most ridiculous. It was, like, here's this, like, conventionally attractive, blonde, tan, ripped, stylish, doesn't care, has a quippy response... Mm -hmm. Like, it's a caricature Mm -hmm. of a cool person. So they meet. I don't, like, the only thing I have in regards to, like, his apartment blowing up was I said, what is going on with the people in this movie saying such random shit 
And I quoted a few. I said, or when a volcano debris crashes through your game show night. Or whenever he's talking to Tyler about his horrible life. And then just unprompted, Tyler goes, could be worse. Someone could cut off your penis. I guess. Like, I guess that could happen. (laughs) It was just like so many people just saying things that I was like, that wasn't a normal thing to say. Yes. So the like whole Um, phone scene was all like good. I don't have any specific thoughts on it, though. There was something about the like one of the like hints that Tyler isn't real. You can see Tyler take the quarter back out of the payphone. Back out. There's also a little sign that says no incoming calls. Uh And Tyler uh uh calls him on there. Go on. Oh, oh, and also on the airplane, they have the same suitcase, but we never see the inside of the of narrator's the narrator's. hmm I also made note of them talking about anti-consumerism ideas again in the bar when they're talking. I wrote yeah, it down as like Tyler and Cornelius. I feel like he, that was, that's one of Tyler's famous speeches is the stuff that he says in the bar. Okay, this is leading me to, this is the part of the movie that for me requires the biggest leap of faith of just accepting that it happened. I think that the most unrealistic part of this movie is that guys would see a single man beating himself up in the parking lot and be like, yeah, I need to get in on whatever this guy is having. Because if it were two guys having the fist fight as it's portrayed to us, I could see the like, that felt really good. And somebody could like see that happening and be like, oh, they're getting something good out of this. Yeah, sure. Whatever. My life is horrible. I have nothing to lose. Somebody can punch me in the face and maybe I'll feel more alive. That makes more sense. But if you come up on one person hitting themselves in the face and then they're like, it'll make you feel more alive. I can't. That is the part that I have the hardest time accepting would catch on is just from the Mm -hmm. one person to that first multiple people joining the fight club. That's how I feel about that. Again, I love this movie. (laughs) No one come for me. It's a very compelling story. But that is is the part that I A weaker spot. That's a weaker spot, I would say. And maybe that's more fleshed out in the book. Maybe he picks a fight with somebody else. Maybe he beats himself up and figures that out. This was some this was a part that inspired the original book was that the author had gone on a camping trip and had gotten in a fight and when he went to work the next week literally nobody made any comments about the fact that his face was so busted up because they would rather not say anything than like actually have a personal conversation and ask somebody like what's wrong or what happened to you or like actually have a human connection like that and that was part of what inspired him to write that like this whole fight club situation could be going on and that you could just go to work with like a broken nose all bandaged up you could just go with black eyes and that it wouldn't cause a scene Mm -hmm. it's also one of those where this part of the movie whenever you think through it like with all the information like very objectively is so sad it is because this is skipping past a little bit the initial fight club scene i think a little bit whoever whatever you want to call him the narrator is a guy who is very awkward who is feeling depressed who is not doing well in his job who is going to various support groups with aliases just to feel seen and heard and validated his house blows up by his own doing but whatever but he, he doesn't know that moves he has schizophrenia he has he moves into an abandoned house and lives there nobody his parents are dead nobody's checking in on him the only person who who's he has this connection to is marla who is like not 
concerned about that. Right. And, like, now is, like, starting an underground fight ring. Like, and it's just, like, it's so... It's kind of devastating. It's like whenever you think about it, like like, whenever you think about it, removed from like theming and and like movies and like the like almost supernatural element to Tyler. This is a mentally ill man who is like working a terrible job and his house burned down and he has nobody and so he convinces himself of another person who already lives in this podunk burned down house and then moves into that and it's just like. Well, he does all that, and in the midst of all of it, like, the only time he feels alive or, like, life is worth living is when he is in intense physical pain. Yeah. Which I put down, I put, uh, I put down, uh uh-oh, dot, 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 addicted to the pain. (laughs) I put that in reference to the whole way that the Fight Club started was very unexpected to me. I didn't anticipate that going into the movie. And so I liked that idea, though. And again, immediately I was making the connection to the corporate gig. I put people looking to feel something. And then we have the iconic basement Fight Club scene where he goes through the eight, the eight. Eight, eight rules. rules! I did not know there were eight! <laughs> I was also... I said it in the movie. I was disappointed with the second rule. Apparently, a lot of people knew there was two rules. and that The first one is, you don't talk about Fight Club. The second one is, you don't talk about Fight Club. I only knew the first one. So then he said the second rule, and I was like, yeah, tell me the second rule. And then he was like, is don't talk about Fight Club. And I was like, underwhelming. <laughs> underwhelming second rule. I've waited 23 years. And I thought that, that they the were going to stop after the two. And then I was like, okay, it was for a little ha-ha. And then he just kept monologuing about these rules. I didn't... Do we have the rules on hand? We should have I feel like hand. I could say them. You know what? I'm going to take a leap of faith and try to do all eight. You're going to do all... Okay. You can cut this from the podcast if it's so wrong. Number one, do not talk about Fight Club. Number two, do not talk about Fight Club. Number three... I don't know if these will be in order. No shoes, no shirt. Uh, if somebody goes limps, limp, or taps out, the fight is over. Oh my god, there's so many. I know the last one is if it's your first night, you have to fight. All you right, only need th- three more. The, the last three are the basic setup of the fights. I don't remember. <laughs> only two guys to a fight, one oh. fight at a time, oh. and... Fights will go on as long as they have to. That's right. As long as they have to is the other important one. Also, this the Fight Club wiki is telling me that the third rule, if someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the fight is over, was added for the movie. That was not one of the original rules. I guess there's seven in the book. Huh. Whack. Maybe they put that in there to like really highlight the fact when he's just wailing on Jared Leto, who is clearly unconscious, and he just keeps hitting him. And hitting him and hitting him. Dude, Jared Leto was unbearable to look at in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) In every stage of his character, his stupid blonde hair all the way to his face. The second he showed up on screen, I was over him. I he also Um, like there was no name one line that he says. He did. He had like two lines, and one was like, "Rule number one is Project Mayhem is that you do not ask questions about Project Mayhem." But like, why was he in it? I felt like that was like just like a publicity stunt of like, oh, this like 
hot new singer who's in See, town. but he might not have been a big... I don't know for sure. He might not have been a big deal yet because this movie was kind of a big break for Brad Pitt almost. Like 30 Seconds to Mars had been founded the year before. So he's very new on the music uh, scene. I don't know if he was an actor. And I don't mean this. that I don't mean that this movie discovered Brad Pitt. I just mean like this was a somewhat turning point in his career. Sure. Like if you look at Brad Pitt's filmography on Wikipedia, there is pre-Fight Club and and post-Fight Club basically. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. there's a decade oh, in his life sense. which is the second one which starts with Fight Club. I thought that his performance was really really interesting and very engaging and almost like Mm-hmm. Almost a little like Jim Carrey esque in the way that like Jim Carrey really just throws it all out there. You know, it wasn't not like it was a Jim Carrey performance, but in that manner of like just like making these huge, big, dramatic, like physical and uh, and voice and like all of this. Like, I really feel like he was very fully present in this role, which I mean was a yeah. caricature and was pretty ridiculous, but it was very engaging and very very interesting juxtaposed next to Edward Norton who was containing so much inside of him at all times and Brad Pitt was just like fully so explosive with everything that he felt and thought and they played off of each other very nicely I made a note about that at the very beginning yeah Um, I wrote down just Tyler's backstory because I think at that point we had established that Tyler does like 15,000 different things Like, he meets him Mm -hmm. on the airplane as a soap guy. And then they're like, by the way, while I'm at my office job, here's what Tyler does. Tyler does this at nights. And he's, like, putting explicit images into family films. And he, like, has that whole thing where he's, like, explaining about the how the cigarette burns and the, the real changing. And then he also knows all of these, like, ways to blow up something. And they, like, kind of tell us with, the who blew up the apartment because by the time that it got to the reveal because when he first discovers that the apartment was blown up and then he was like oh who could have known that if the gas was left on it would do this and do this and do this and explode and i was like got it so he did it right from immediately and then later the arson guy is talking to him and he like tyler's like just tell him i did it and then later when in the hotel room, like at the very end, when when the narrator figures out that Tyler is in his head, he was like, "And I blew up your apartment." And the no, narrator's it's in like, the, um, "What?" It's in the car. It's before the car crash. He that's says, right, "Why right, do you think I blew right. up your apartment?" And it's like, <gasps> and I was like, "That was obvious." Yeah. I wrote down. I said that cannot be the twist. That. <laughs> Oh, oh, although this is fun and we'll get to it later in the movie, but I just want to say it now before I have to go, which I have to go. But when they have that scene, it's Tyler driving and he's in the, and the narrator's in the passenger seat who's like trying to take the wheel back and is like, stop it, stop it, stop it. After they crash, when Tyler gets out of the car, Tyler gets out of the passenger seat and drags out the narrator who's in the driver's seat when the car is upside down. There's a little switchy switch to tell us oh, that the, the narrator I d- was That one is driving. one of my favorite ones that I read about. Yeah. That that one was... Which, was like, because the car's upside down, I didn't connect it. Yep. Yep. I want to just say this one thing before we hop off, because it's not in my notes, so I'm going to mm-hmm. forget it in the gap. The way they depicted Tyler and the narrator's friendship was so effective at throwing me off the scent of the way that he would speak for him because it was very much like a nerd and his jock friend. And so he's just so enamored with the popularity of him. So even when they're at the doctor and he's like, he just straight up tells the audience, he's like, sometimes Tyler talks for me. (laughs) And then Tyler says, 
tell him it, you fell down the stairs. And then he says, I fell down the stairs. That didn't make me think twice because I was like, this feels like how that type of friendship would function. Like, like he's at the, the projector room, just like enamored with his like boring projector job because he's just like, this guy is so cool. It was a very effective throwing me off the scent while still putting all of the pieces out there. Also I the way it. that it was written, very book-ish narrator and like having these like, mm -hmm. you know, gigantic sentences like tits hanging there as we think of gods as big or whatever the thing is oh my god and then <laughs> also saying insomniacs never actually really sleep and me being like mm, like go in poet and then later it's like that was the <laughs> whole movie was that he actually was never asleep he was just tyler when he thought he was sleeping and it was like right there they told us in like the first five minutes of the movie what it was but i was like wow poetry Yes, that it just completely, it's those sorts of things that reading about, I'm like, or realizing, because I actually wrote, I figured that one out myself. I was like, oh, insomniacs never sleep. That was so good. Yeah. yeah. But that was another one that so, I just wanted to get out there before I, I do really need to go. I need to hop off and we will Rebecca has hours. to go to rehearsal. So we, so for you guys, it's going to be a few seconds, but for us, we will pick up the discussion in several hours. So... <laughs> Bye, have fun at rehearsal. Bye. Boom, and we're back. Five hours later, I have fallen asleep for a wink. I have traversed from my home and back. Rebecca has rehearsed an entire Shakespearean legend. A whole tragedy. Let's get back into it. The next note I have, again, he's. I refer to him as Cornelius in my notes. Still this at this point in the this. movie? Yeah, apparently. I said, Tyler blew up Cornelius' apartment. <laughs> and then is when this is when I started writing down some of my theories that didn't turn out to be true. Mm, this um, was the brainstorming just, part of the movie. There was a point in the movie where we paused it straight up just to discuss theories. We just and threw out a couple ideas. <laughs> They didn't turn, they didn't turn out, but there was, I said, is everything that has happened just a story that he is like writing in his office? Because it felt like as if we returned to the very same moment several times. Mm -hmm. And then, which I like, think is in intentional. His... I think it was, yeah. I mean, I think then this is a little bit obvious, but just to say it, like, I think it really highlights the mundaneness of that mundane world of the sure. nine to five that it's always the same nothing is ever new nothing is ever exciting you're just there in this endless drone of just working until you die and i think so i feel like every time we were in the office it was meant to feel soul sucking and like this void of just you go there and you work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then this is the point in the movie where my notes get very erratic because there was so much constantly happening that I couldn't even formulate I feel like the thoughts. movie gets a little bit erratic at this point. It was at this point in my notes that I wrote, this movie would be better as a limited series. Oh. And I know that <clears throat> limited series are kind of a thing of the 21st century. Obviously, it wasn't a big thing in the <clears> 90s. <throat> I think it's partly because it's a book. It started as a book, and there just is so much to unpack, and there are so many characters to unpack that I just wanted to see more in-depth exploration of everything that happened in the movie. It felt like mm -hmm. the movie was just, like, having to hit the highlights of what was unfolding just because there was so much to it. That's what I wanted to see. 
I wrote House yeah. of the Matrix. I think I just, every time we were in that house, I was like, this is the House of the Matrix. And I just had to write it down. Otherwise, I was just going to get upset. This is like a kind of a, like a montage era of the movie where there's a lot of different things happening. Mm -hmm. I wrote down that the montage of them starting fights in public is much needed comedic relief at this point in the movie, but also furthers this idea of like pushing people to the brink. Mm -hmm. This was really the I next like... step of this whole idea getting out of hand. Like this was the crossover. This was the crossover from like, we do this fight club because we've got some cathartic shit to work out into like, and we're going to take over the world with the new mentality. This is where I start to see, like, the message of the movie start to really come together. Where it's like, there is, on one end, we have this criticism of, like, corporate America and, like, anti-consumerism, like, anti-capitalism of, like, we are just cogs in the machine and, like, the big companies control all of our lives and we just eat it up and I don't want to live that way. And then, like, as a result of that, you have the fight club start as them being like, I just want to feel anything right and like that works for them and like they're having a good time with it and then as a result of it's like you have the narrator who's like one end of the extreme who's fully a cog in the machine and then tyler is created and tyler goes the opposite direction and i don't think it's the solution where it then it devolves into we need to break away from the system into in order to experience true joy sure mm. but then that's not enough and so then it becomes we have to have a mission we have to do this we have to take the system down and no now actually we have to recruit people and we have to start more like and it's just like it, in the same way that the corporate america stuff turns out to not actually be fulfilling this also turns out to not be fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And that gets into what I think the solution that is like subtly proposed throughout is, which is taking control of your own life mm -hmm. as an individual, not as like some movement of then just becoming the next one in control, but just deciding what your story is and deciding what your life is about. And I really like in hindsight, the scene with the chemical burn yeah. Um. Be especially in the knowledge that Tyler is doing that to himself. He is like, it's an intense scene mm -hmm. and it is, he's like fighting for his damn life there. And Tyler gives him the solution. I keep referring to them both as Tyler. <laughs> Tyler offers him the solution, but like even more so considering Tyler's not really there. This is a man who is putting himself through pain. It's not me trying to say just like, oh, well, if you're unhappy in your job, you're forcing yourself to stay there. But more like you do have a choice in mm. life and you do have a choice. In, like you are in charge of yourself and you are in charge of what's going to be what the narrative is for you on, on some level. And the solution to that is not to just break away and accept that life is terrible and not this nihilistic point that Tyler proposes. But there's a level of like you can break away from that you have you hold the key you can do that um at any point and i th and i like the way that that chemical burn scene subtly demonstrates that mm -hmm. and that i think that like i think there's an element of that in his solution of like you just have to accept death 
and you have to accept that like it hurts and that you will survive this and that's okay yeah 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 um what, what really compelled me about that scene is that like there's such like incredible truth within what tyler is saying it's just like the degree mm-hmm. and the direction that he's taking it to and going towards and like ultimately what makes it harmful is his goal which is this like anarchy state where it's at the expense and the destruction and the hurt of others rather than just about like a self journey it becomes about this like domination and this power struggle and all of that but the element of like accepting death looking at it in the face and like choosing to like be present in the moment with the pain rather than hiding from it because that's the whole thing is the narrator is like I'm going to the cave I'm going to the cave and is trying to like escape escape ignore Mm -hmm. run away from what he's experiencing and Tyler is like slamming him on the table and he's like be right here with it like fully feel this don't run away from it like that's yeah like that's incredible that's amazing Mm -hmm. and I love that it is those like good elements or those elements that can be healthy and can be revolutionary and can change your life and it's that twisted into this you know struggle for power that ends up going into this tornado of destruction and this like horrific ending but it's so compelling that like those base elements are exactly what everyone needs i so agree i don't know what this note means i wrote down what the fuck was that? <laughs> the film started shaking and it was the part oh, when the cigarette burns that, came through. This was that fourth wall break of just a film I of was, Tyler speaking directly to the audience being like, this is the start of the revolution. I was I was reaching my breaking point with that scene. <laughs> and then the next, the next note is in all caps, are Tyler and the narrator the same? I don't know what it was about that scene. It was just a culmination of what they had already showed us. I don't even remember what exactly was being said. I just remember it was Marla and the narrator arguing. And Tyler is just shadily hanging out at like the yeah, basement Tyler's stairs. Yeah, Tyler's in the basement stairs. And it's like loudly talking to him. He like verbatim repeats it while hiding him. And something about that with, like, coupled with the knowledge of, like, oh, I never see Tyler and Marla in the same room. And the way that he had been speaking for him. And the way that in that moment, I'm like, have I seen Tyler and the narrator, like, interact with someone in a real-life way? And, like, immediately, like, you and I asked the question at, like, the almost same instant of just, like, that was it. That clicked. Yeah. But it still wasn't enough because then there was I still was holding on to my they were all dead theory and I feel like a very a a scene that came very soon after that was the car scene and they crashed the car and you're like they're dead they must be dead like that must be what this is scored a point in the purgatory theory and I don't remember what was happening. I just remember that, like, the two people in the backseat were acting bizarre. It, it's this and... Project Mayhem. This is when Project Mayhem is really, like, getting going. Yeah. And Jack is not okay with it. But Tyler is just, like, yeah. full steam ahead. And every time Tyler, or every time, this is confusing, every time the narrator tries to figure out what's going on, all of these members are like, first rule of Project Mayhem is do not ask questions about Project Mayhem. Right. 
which was beginning to tip me where I was like, okay, okay, okay. So like, they're not allowed to talk about it to like not reveal this. Like I wasn't confident on the logistics of this, them being the same whole person thing. Because so it was I, like, I remember it was saying clear that there were secrets that Tyler had. It was clear right. that there were secrets that Tyler had that the narrator didn't know. So that kind of felt like they couldn't be the same person because otherwise the narrator would know about this. Right. And I had even said during that scene, I was like, so if Tyler's in his head, he's having an argument with himself right now. Like, I would be interested to know what those two people in the backseat were experiencing. Like, what were they seeing? This is also, I can't remember if the car crash scene happens before or after. I think it's before Tyler disappears for a minute. Yeah, it's before. Bops away. Because that's when, this is another slight problem I have with the movie, is um, that's whenever they bring Robert, may he rest in peace, back to the house and things start to take a turn. That's my issue. <laughs> they were running from the police and they shot Robert in the back of the head. And then these people, when did they, how did they accomplish that mission? How did they bag Robert up in front in front of the police? How did they drag him away? Robert's a hef a heavy man. And but like even if he was even if he wasn't a heavy man, I'm like, how did they drag a human body while they're on a foot chase with Were the police? Were they like almost to the car? And then like how did they effectively evade them and then like haul a whole why did they even do it? Why did they even bring Robert back? Like, I get that they loved him, but I just mean, like, this all... Se that that was hard for me to buy into. That was a little, like, and they didn't get caught? You're telling me they didn't get caught after doing all this nonsense? I'm a little... This one is hard for me to, to believe. Is there any other thoughts um, before the big reveal? I feel like there's something more, there's something deeper to the way that the group, when he w when he's like, no, like, this... He's not just, he's not a nobody. He's, his name, he has a name. He's a person. And the, like, way that they were like, oh, in death, you become someone. You become Robert Paulson. And then everyone's like, his name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. I feel like there's something to that. Like, there's something deeper. There's some sort of message. I'm just not sure what it is. I can tell you what my thoughts are in this very moment. And mm -hmm. this is, I've thought of them just now. So... And, okay. like, I feel like there is a loose tie-in to some of the themes I'm seeing there in that it. Pl I feel like it plays into that idea of, like, sometimes, which, like, I've been in low places and I've thought this, like, you almost rom romanticize the way that you're remembered when you die mm -hmm. and the way that everyone is kind of, they remember the best parts of you right. and everyone loved you so much mm -hmm. and they miss you and you were always so valuable you hold such value to people when you're dead. Mm. And I think in a movie that's depicting so many people who are so desperate to feel seen and loved, and a group of people who is missing the mark, who like was on one end of the spectrum, needs to land in the middle, but they passed it and they're on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> like these are people who are, who were subordinate to the man in the corporate sense. And now they've just made themselves subordinate to a different man right like who still have not found meaning and purpose within just themselves mm. 
who are then like being shaken with this information of like, no, he was a human being and he held value regardless of, of corporatism or of tasks done. He was a person. It's almost like they take that and just like idolize the like, when you're dead, you hold all this value. And like, that's really powerful. And like, we get names and identities too when we die. Mm. It's like, no, you hold that value right now, but we just don't acknowledge it till you die. Mm. Which is like a, a, a almost a toxic way of accepting death. Like, that's not a peaceful way of accepting death. That's like out of like insecurity. Mm. That's what That's what I thought of when you were talking about it. Yeah, no, no, I like that. I can't remember if there's anything else, like, of... I feel like that scene, if I remember correctly, goes pretty quickly into... It goes straight the into the travel montage. The narrator investigating things. Yeah, yeah, it's literally straight into the In mo- which, travel montage. He goes upstairs and opens the drawer and finds all the plane tickets. This reveal was a stellar reveal. Again, we saw it coming. We knew this was on the table... Again, a good reveal does not have to completely blindside you. If anything, Mm -mm. the fact that I knew was, like, it was such a treat watching it play out. And, like, knowing, like, he goes to the laundromat and he's talking to the guy. And I was like, he's going to say, who, what's my name? Like, you you almost are, Mm -hmm. like, starting to accept it the way that the narrator is starting to accept it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by the time that he got up to the room... And we explicitly, and Marla, it's when Marla says it, when he's on the phone with her and she explicitly says, what do you want me to say? Like, your name is Tyler Durden. I screamed. You started laughing in disbelief. I literally got full body chills. Like, it was just like, I cannot believe we're going there in Fight Club. I just didn't expect this movie to be this way. And like the 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 free that the narrator literally says as that reveal, I can't remember if he says it right before she says it or right after she says it. But he's like, "You better buckle your seatbelts. The it's about to be a bumpy ride." And you can hear like a jet engine accelerating. It is so good. Like it was like that was what gave me the chills. Is I was like the fact that the movie is acknowledging that this reveal is happening right now, and they're like, "Oh hell yeah, it's happening." And I was just like. Oh my gosh! Like, it was just, like, it was overstimulating. It was, it was near euphoric. And Mm -hmm. it really did, I think I said in my preconceived notions that I wanted to be scraping my jaw off of the ground when the plot twist happened. But I liked this better. It was this weird sense of, like, completeness in a way. Especially because we did... Mm -hmm like catch on to some of the clues and like that possibility did cross our line our like our minds it felt very fulfilling to to have that confirmed and then see how it happened Mm-hmm. it's like you know it's not like it's the most original concept like it's a sure. Jekyll and Hyde situation yeah but I liked its roots in that Tyler creates this ideal person who is everything that he just doesn't think he can be. And mm-hmm. he is that person. Mm-hmm. Like, he he had the ruby slippers all along. He had the power all along to be this person. But because he's so insecure, he makes it another person to the point that that person stands alone and is their own person with their own agendas that is far too extreme in the other direction. 
Tyler changes throughout this movie as a Mm -hmm. direct reflection of what the narrator is going through and what Mm. how he is developing yeah because like when we first see tyler he's this smooth talking salesman right who has the most interesting job at a time where the narrator is like fed up with the most boring existence in the world and the first thing he says at the end of his conversation with tyler is you're the most interesting man i've ever met so it like tyler evolved from just being the most interesting person in comparison to the narrator's like dull, no life <laughs> matrix, you know, lifestyle, nothing going on, literally nothing to live for. And he meets a super interesting person. And then he's super cool. He's at a bar and he wants to start a fist fight. And then he's like, ha, ah, don't you feel alive? And then suddenly Tyler's this representation of feeling alive and that like spark of life. And then, you know, he lives in this house that's a wreck and he doesn't care and he'll ride around on a bike. He just like, he's this full expression in a time where Tyler, when, when the, in, the, in a time where the narrator is learning how to, you know, express and, and find this new part of himself. And then it turns and the narrator quits his job in this, you know, move of this stick it to the man move. And Tyler starts Project Mayhem. And then in and then it escalates and like all this time like Tyler's wardrobe is changing, his hair changes a little bit. He goes mm-hmm. through that whole phase where he is barely his pants are barely holding on for dear life his like wardrobe goes from these like leather jackets to more of like these wacky pieces they're all together and then when he shows up in this hotel room he's got a shaved head and this like fur Mm -hmm. coat i don't know exactly what that represents but it's but he becomes this like mastermind tyler becomes this like mastermind as he starts to like kind of thwart the narrator at every turn because the narrator is trying so hard to like take this project down and to like undo what he's done and now tyler is this like super villain where he like knows all of the next steps and he keeps cutting him off at every turn and everything that the narrator tries to do tyler has already thought of it so maybe it's in this moment of like helplessness tyler is powerful Mm -hmm. i don't know i just think it's Mm -hmm. so interesting how it changes throughout the movie and depending on what the narrator is seeking and what he wants it's always tyler that represents that and that changes throughout the movie and i just think that that's interesting yeah it feels on first impulse like another like another reference to like i think tyler says at one point that like the things that we buy end up owning us or something like that mm-hmm. and it's like 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 he goes on about like buying stuff that you don't need and things like that mm. and it's like by the end he's wearing like a freaking fur coat and it's mm-hmm. like a little you literally made a comment about the drip that he's got going on. And it's like, is that a reference to like his version of controlling people also led him to just like value things over himself. The world may never know. It's at the end of that conversation that the narrator falls onto the bed, like basically passing out. And that's the moment where he goes in the voiceover, he goes, it's called a changeover and nobody in the movie even knows and I wrote that down. I wrote that shit down because it was in all caps too. I said the changeover of the movie goes on and nobody has any idea. Because it was just blowing my mind what was, was happening. So and they literally good. laid that out before us that they that they switch out the reels and you don't even notice. It was so good. I can't I think that so there was good. so much going on. That I didn't even... I'm sure in that, like, final interaction between them at, like, where he's tied to the chair when we're back at the beginning. 
I'm sure there was some quotes exchanged between them that just like blew my whole mind. Like if I listened to it again, but I don't even remember. I can't remember if that's the part where he talks about maybe if their dad wasn't dead, that maybe they would have turned out differently. Like there's some like, like Tyler, like voices his inner insecurities with that one. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's truly, like, now you have, like, the duality of man. Now you have these, like, two different versions of what Tyler slash Jack could be arguing with each other. And, like, mm-hmm. neither version is necessarily a good version. Neither version is a free version. It's whenever he, it's whenever, um, after his apartment burns down, he says, it's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. Mm. And I think that that is the idea. I think that that is literally the the little key to free to to a happy ending that he has and does the wrong thing with, mm. because he uses that freedom to create an anarchist group. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the the path to happiness. But um, hot take: I th- I <laughs> don't think anarchy is the answer. I, I wrote down, freedom is found when carving one's own path. Freedom is not found in anarchy. And then I also wrote down the Starbucks cup because I think I noticed it in that last scene and I was like, that cup has been a reoccurring character. <laughs> Marla. Marla. I, again, when I watched the movie the first time, I was kind of like, like I texted Karsten. I was giving him a little bit of my thoughts. He loves this movie and he was like, and Helena Bonham Carter is just amazing. And I was like, what do you mean she was amazing? What even was she in this movie? And then, like, the more I thought about it, and the more that I was, like, reading into it, the more I was like, okay, I think she does play a pretty a pretty critical role here. Not only do I think that... She, I think that she... In the way that Tyler is a representation of the narrator experiencing that freedom and going the wrong direction with it. I think Marla is an example of experiencing that true freedom and going the right direction with it. I think that Mm -hmm. she is someone who has herself figured out, who knows what she wants in life, who is not scared of death, who is comfortable and who is free. And I Mm -hmm. think that she is depicted that way from the very beginning and that she, she is shown to us as if she is crazy at the beginning she's kooky she's wacky she's weird she's not normal she's Mm. insane and i think we find out by the end it is the other way around she is the most sane one there yeah she has her head on her shoulders tyler is the one who is actually quite literally battling voices in his head yeah and starts the whole anarchist movement like marla is the dream like she is what we should strive to be and she to someone who is still this is gonna sound very dramatic but someone who's still like chained up and like not free Mm -hmm. i think she looks crazy and she's just walking into traffic but i think she's the most unbound out of any of them Mm. and is the most i think she's seeing the most clearly and on top of that she is the audience she is like the one person in the movie who's like constantly bearing witness to all of this and like is just as confused as the rest of us like she has no context she's freaked out by it too she's arguing with him because she's like what do you mean none of this makes any sense i so i think marla is so important yeah and i think helena bottom carter plays it so well 
And I think it's one of those that I think you could still argue that she should have a little bit more of her own agency. She should have, especially if she's playing like the free character that we should all strive for, she should have a little bit of her own story going on rather than just being some kind of reflection of, of Tyler Durden and the narrator. Mm-hmm. But I think especially when you look back on it after the ending, it's like, oh, she was presented as this at the beginning. But it turns out that is a better description of the narrator and Tyler than it is of her. She is the most capable, the most sane. Mm-hmm. They don't succeed. The bombs right. do go off. They presumably die together. I think the best I can make of it is that in the way that at the beginning of the movie, they were two people who were just like walking around each other, unwilling to seek comfort in each other. By the end of the movie, they do accept each other and do seek comfort in each other and decide to go down together. And Um, it's also, I think it's interesting because she's the only person in his life that he doesn't like control. mm -hmm. Everyone around him he ends up either manipulating or brainwashing or whatever into doing what he wants. Um, yeah. Even total strangers, the way that he's like taking them out and putting a gun to their head and being like, what did you want to be? And, you know, saying that he's liberating them or saying that, you know, whatever, all the, all the excuses that he gives for all the different people. Like he, that thing with his boss, the thing, like, Every single person he interacts with, even when he's going to the to the groups, he's tricking them, you know, he's posing, he's lying, which is interesting, too, because when we see this might be a little bit of a stretch, but when we see Marla at those groups, I feel like we never saw her like actually participating in the meeting. She's just there smoking. No, she she doesn't. She's literally just hanging out. And I just think it's so interesting that like she is the one person that he can't control that he can't manipulate and she in the end when he Mm -hmm. takes her out and they go to that coffee shop i was just i was like watching it on mute while you're talking and like reading their body language and it's so interesting her body language and her facial expressions because she's not completely closed off to him she's not dismissive dismissive of him she's not going to that shop to be like i hate you you're the worst person and i'm leaving because i'm a powerful woman like there's this mm-hmm. inner conflict where she is really trying to deal with him as another human being with that respect without manipulating him or without, like, doing some sort of mind trick or game like he is constantly playing on him. And she's like, listen, there's a lot of things I like about you as a person. You're this, you're this, you're this, but you're also all of these terrible things and you're doing all of these terrible things and I'm sorry, but I'm done. And then walks away. And... Mm-hmm. it's like seeing him have this like breakdown about you know he thinks that he's trying to save her but like also like he walks in front of the bus and puts out his hand and stops the bus like he is this like puppet master of his whole world and in trying to control what happens it's just such an interesting study of this person who's manipulating and controlling everything around him and then that one force that he can't ends up being his answer mm-hmm I think that I don't know what to fully make. And this is maybe a little bit of a gripe. He shoots himself. Okay. Um, let's talk about very, that last scene. <laughs> very suspenseful. Very intense. I was, I have, I wrote a specific note about it. Um, 
my thing with it is I'm like, why did shooting himself kill Tyler if it if didn't, didn't kill die. him? And also, how did he not die? <laughs> we made a joke about it where we, where he's just like, he's just like got like a, a cult. He's just like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? I maybe I did. It, did the bullet just go through his neck? And even it then, it looked like it exited his cheek, like area. But okay, here's the thing: the like wound is right here. That should have blown his jaw out. He wouldn't. She should. One hundred percent. I mean, there were so many reasons why he shouldn't have been able to like talk or stand up or it not was, bleeding out. It was a little out. hard for me to believe. My note on that action was. Tyler shooting himself or or the narrator shooting himself was an incredible depiction, in my opinion, of somebody viewing suicide as the only escape from yourself. Right, right. And I don't know how that goes hand in hand with what I'm about to say, where it's like, is the reason that shooting himself, even though it didn't kill him, is the reason that that effectively did get rid of Tyler was because that was a very tangible step of accepting that he does not need Tyler. Was it because um, that was the moment where he actually accepted death? What they said in mm, the chemical burn scene where he's like, the only way you can make it through to the other side is to accept that you will die. Was it just like that was the first time that the narrator was like, yes, I will. Because Tyler crashed the car before, you know? Like, the narrator, like, stopped holding on right. to the Tyler wheel. Tyler was always accepting of, of death. But it was always Tyler, whereas in that moment, that was the narrator, like, pulling the trigger. Mm, I that's, think you're that's how I there. That's how I interpreted it. But, I mean, like, that, I guess that raises a question that you could look at it that, like, he pulls the trigger and he does kill himself. And after that, that's just his own idea of a happy ending, is that Marla shows up and they reconcile... And he, they get yeah. the whole, like, freedom for the world thing, but also he became his own person without Tyler. I don't know. I feel more strongly about my theory where it is more of that metaphor of him actually accepting death, and that was his answer through it. And then he didn't need Tyler after that because he had finally gotten to the I point agree. that Tyler was at the whole time. He had, like, achieved Tyler status. And his, like, his demeanor and his, like, body language shifted from like the narrator which was always like so haggard and so like you know reserved and so you know in a way helpless and it didn't like shift all the way to Tyler he didn't like become you know Tyler but it did kind of land in this weird middle ground and I wondered if that was kind of our glimpse as an audience into what everybody else had been seeing the whole time. Like, we saw all the crazy parts of him being Tyler and, like, with the beating himself up and all of that, like, crazy shit. But in that moment, like, the way he was standing and the way that he was, like, very calmly telling people what to do with this air of self-confidence made me wonder if, like, that was the Tyler Durden that everybody else always saw. Yeah, I think the beginning of him, like, realizing... And overcoming Tyler is that moment when he's like, I am you. So the gun is in my hand. Oh it's not my, in your I hand. just got chills like, again. That was insane. It was powerful. And it was, I think that was his moment of real of like telling himself, like, I don't need Tyler. I am Tyler. 
for all that it is bad and all that it is good. Mm -hmm. And I think that realizing that the gun was in his own hand and that he couldn't keep projecting it onto another person was like a moment. And then thus the gun cannot be pointed at Tyler. It has to be pointed at himself. Mm -hmm. And I think that that like is the catalyst of his acceptance of death in that way. And that's the end of the movie. Damn. My only two hot takes were that Helena Bonham Carter is wasted, but I disagree with that one now. And then that Jared Leto looks terrible. And I (laughs) stand by that one. (laughs) Me and Jared Leto have beef that originates with this movie. Mm. So I guess we'll move on to... I don't even know why we need to, but we should just go through the parental guidance section. Uh Uh-oh, might want to skip ahead. Or grab your parents, because this next section requires some parental guidance. Welcome to the parental guidance section. This is the first ever episode, so it's worth explaining that this is the section where we just go through why we have not seen this movie, what content within it possibly barred us from seeing it based on our respective households and just the way we were raised. Mm -hmm. Um, Rebecca, why don't you go first? This is actually a really easy answer, and it's probably going to be a reoccurring theme as we watch movies on this show, but it's that it's rated R. Any R-rated movies were not allowed in my house. Period. Really? Period. No exceptions. Not, not even, even an exception. Not even on clear play. Oh, no. That's not what I was going to say. I was going to oh. say The Passion of the Christ. We never have owned The Passion of the Christ, and I've never seen it. Really? They showed a See- scene of it in church once, and my mom told me to close my eyes. See, listeners, this is the fun part. This is where, like... Rebecca's upbringing is so consistent. Rebecca's upbringing and what she was and wasn't allowed to watch, like, you can track the rules, you can track the standard. It's a flow chart. My family spans, like, uh, there's a big age gap between Jared and Joel. So there's, like, the four older and the three younger. We span different time periods, and you change over time. And so the rules changed over time, but also they just changed depending on I don't even know what the (laughs) rules are not consistent in my history and so like there are not that like never in my household could there be a thing like no rated r movies because there would be all kinds of exceptions and so I will say mine's a pretty simple answer for this one and I would just say the entire movie is why I didn't well that was the other thing is other than its rating this movie's rated r for a reason oh my god (laughs) I mean within the first within the first like not like not even five minutes i was like i have at least five reasons why i did not see this movie like one of the opening lines is bitch tits (laughs) i can't (laughs) i i if it wasn't the language it was the quote-unquote unnecessary violence if it wasn't that it was the sex scenes the straight up graphic sex scene if it wasn't that it was the low rise jeans yeah, the so, language, the gore, the sexual content. I also feel like thematically this movie would not have been allowed as well. Even if it was PG-13, if there were, you know, no F-words, no, you know, sex scenes. Like, if you had, like, trimmed it down and it was just about this anarchist themes and this yeah. chaos and, like, all of that. I don't think I would have been allowed to watch it for that reason either. I think even without that, even just the idea of people seeking release 
from a mundane life by violence i just yes. don't think would have been like even though that that's not technically considered in the movie to be a positive thing i just don't think ideas like that would want to be discussed yeah they would yeah. rather be something that i should be protected from yeah and it was also like i think that this was probably a movie that like i mean i didn't even hear about it growing up i heard about it as an adult obviously not an adult but like teenager onward right I think that this was, I think the controversy that this movie got when it came out, my, like, I'm sure that my parents heard about yes. the controversy and they were like, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah, and so, sure. which is, again, at the time, like, regardless of any, like, religion, like, it was controversial. So, like, yeah. I'm, I'm not even saying that that was an unpopular choice. Yeah. So I'm excited for this one. So next we'll move on to our thoughts and prayers segment. When times get tough... We offer thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and thoughts and prayers. Welcome to the thoughts and prayers segment. This is a segment where we offer up our thoughts and prayers to different characters or aspects around the movie. Did you come prepared with any thoughts and or prayers? I Rebecca? only have two, but I might I might be able to riff a little bit if we're pressed for content. Okay. I have thoughts and prayers for insomniacs everywhere who watched this movie and became very afraid of what they could become. <laughs> this was their joker. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, if I had insomnia and I watched this movie, I would be like, oh God, I could be a monster. This is what's waiting the way for that me. This, the way that Split villainizes people with um, disassociative identity disorder, mm -hmm. this villainizes people with insomnia. <laughs> Next, there's going to be a movie that vilifies people with sleep apnea. It's <gasps> going to be crazy. It was, it was just very dramatic. Okay, so thoughts and prayers to Edward Norton's back for carrying this movie confidently the way that he the way that he is not only the main character but he's talking for almost the entire thing he narrates for every real. moment in the movie like the runtime is composed of him speaking and so true thoughts and prayers go out to his true spine. my thoughts and prayers just i just want to send out some thoughts and prayers for all of the innocent people's property that got destroyed as a result of project mayhem there's a scene where they're literally just walking down the street with baseball bats, just like crashing in headlights. And it was at that point in the movie where I was like, okay, what has this movement become? Because like, what is this? Tyler, they what are you blasted. liberating people from? Like what? They, that person who's going to come out. They all blasted before he cheats by Carrie Underwood <laughs> right before they did that. So they just, they felt inspired. My next thoughts and prayers just goes out to anyone who was personally victimized by low-rise jeans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the way that they made me feel... The way that they made me feel more uncomfortable than when I saw Brad Pitt naked. It's just uh, they're so low they're that so you just low. are constantly nervous that something's going to pop out. Those pants we're staying on by the grace of God is all that I was going to say. That's, that's what I don't understand. That's why I wasn't allowed to watch the movie is witchcraft. The witchcraft <laughs> that goes into low-rise jeans. My next thoughts and prayers is thoughts and prayers for every single one of that doctor's patients. <laughs> <laughs> Who come to him with legitimate 
needs, medical and otherwise. And that doctor is like, oh, you know what? There are some people suffering in this world. You want to see suffering? You go down the street to the Methodist church on Tuesday nights. That'll teach you to complain about your life and like he didn't even like recommend i said this very early on in the movie and i still stand by this none of this would have happened if the main characters got therapy truly <laughs> that's that the doctor thing was with, with... mean he was like you can't die from insomnia get a grip and then just like shoved him out the door someone got someone comes in there with like tourette syndrome and he's like just <laughs> shut up just stop have you doing tried not that. speaking have, have you, you tried, tried not get have you tried observing the people with testicular cancer? Get they, a grip. They have it bad. <laughs> anyway, my last thoughts and prayers goes out to all of the pigeons that were force-fed laxatives. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they did no wrong. They upset nobody. And they were just forced to poop on everything. Thoughts <laughs> and prayers. <laughs> oh, they just like put out loaves of bread that was just laced. Dude, and those cars were covered. They were it's real insane. covered. They were real covered. Those pigeons were at the top of my prayer list. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. The last segment as we come into it, the conclusion is the tentatively titled best part, worst part of the movie. For those that listened, thank you. And for those who skipped right to the end, we get you. Here it is, best part, worst part. Hey guys, welcome to Best Part, Worst Part. This is the part of the show at the very end here where we just list off the best part of the movie, as in like best sequence or moment, and the worst part of the movie for us. The only rules is that we cannot pick the same answer. <laughs> so, um, Rebecca, what was your best part? This may have been what your number one answer was going to be, but I was going to say the moment where Tyler is whispering from the bottom of the stairs to the narrator. Then that might be just more of a person. That wasn't yours, number one? No. Amazing. I feel like that was my favorite part. I don't know if this is, like, objectively the best part of the movie. But I think that that moment is such a crucial lead for the plot twist. And it's such this clear moment that even if you don't pick up on that for the plot twist, it is this moment of the narrator, like, taking some agency with his life. Because he's kind of, like, floundering as Tyler is, like, making Project Mayhem and, like, all of this stuff is happening. And it's, like, in that moment where he, like, turns to Marla and he's, like, this conversation is over. And he, like, makes a choice with his life. And it created such an interesting dynamic that really affected the plot going forward. And I just thought it was a very, very strong point of the movie. Yeah. Mine is in a similar vein. It is the exact reveal. I just don't know if any part of the movie elevated me like that did. In the hotel room, on the phone with Marla, when he says, buckle up your seatbelts, like, it was just such a perfect storm that it was like, I just, it's one of those movie moments that you're like, I will remember how I felt. Like, it Mm. was like so intense. Yeah. What was your worst part of the whole movie? (sighs) For me, the worst part of this movie has got to be the shot of Angel Boy with his terrible prosthetic face 
over his regular face after he was beaten up. I think the prosthetic <laughs> sucks. I think the makeup looks horrible. Dude, they horrible. hated Jared Leto. And, like, the movie has incredible special effects. Like, the movie has insanely gory, like, parts that I was like, oh, like, that's hard to look at because it's, like, crazy. Like, the makeup is crazy. It's insane. It's amazing. And that shot, that job was bad. And you cannot convince me that that is what his face would have looked like after that fight. There was no bruising. It was just, like, puffed up with this, like, weird seam. Like, it was sewn up. But it, timeline-wise, not a lot of time had passed. So it's not like, oh, this is just months later and it's healed over. It was just bad. It took me so far out of the movie that I couldn't tell you what on earth that scene was about. Because I just (laughs) spent it staring at how bad it was. Um, For me, that was the worst part of the movie. You can't convince me that someone on production didn't have it out for Jared Leto. Because (laughs) he was big enough at the time to make the opening credits. Like, they were like, Jared Leto's in this movie... And he pissed someone off. They were like, this guy's a, a douchebag and we will not stand for it. They cut all of his lines except for like two. Nobody else in the movie looks like he does. His eyebrows are bleached, guys. He looks guys. like a freaking anime he, character. He, like, it is, it, he is wearing a wig. Like, it is so, he was distracting every time he was on screen. It yeah. pissed me off. And then this prosthetic nonsense. Someone had it out for Jared Leto. And it that person is me now. Uh, <laughs> the, now the baton has been passed. Me too. And I've got it out for Jared Leto now. I can't. My worst part, I wish I could just say my worst part was Jared Leto, but to pick a moment, it was them bringing Bob back to the house. It was just one of the moments for me that really took me out of it. And mm. if the scene itself, like, if the reason for it paid off enough and, like, it went somewhere enough, I can excuse it the way that, like, him shooting himself and not dying doesn't really pan out to me. But because everything that surrounds it is so good, like, I allow it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen with them bringing Rob back because, because it, like, it only leads to them chanting his name and, like, nothing else. Like, it that doesn't was, that do... Was a- t- I feel like that was a very classic example of the backwards writing that we were talking about earlier, where it's like, okay, yes. we're going to have this this moment where they're all chanting his name. Okay, why? Because he's dead. Okay, how did he die? Um, on a mission for Project Mayhem. Okay, what was the project? Uh, yeah. And then they just, like, played mad gabs and, like, pulled out. They have to yeah. uh, destroy an art artifact and uh, wreck a coffee shop, and he gets killed in the park. Yeah, I, I feel like the excuse is that, like, by showing the narrator the body like it really communicated to him how far they'd gone and the fact that it was someone he knew and loved was intense but i feel like i i feel that if you needed to do that you needed to come up with a better way for them to have gotten him there yeah or like have him be out on the mission with them i don't know like that would have been exciting it's just that it was like just sloppy enough that like it distracted me and took me out and sure it didn't ruin the movie that's the whole reason why it's just called the worst part not the worst movie um, but yeah, that was Everyone my calm down. worst part. Do you feel that this movie is worth the hype? I I would say absolutely yes. I think it's yeah. worth the hype. I actually think it was worth the wait as well. Um, I'm really glad I saw this as an adult. I think that if I had seen this as like a teenager, I wouldn't have fully appreciated all of the layers to this movie. I'm really glad I saw it as an adult. As an adult yeah. who is in a stable place in her life to deal with this movie 
and yeah, this honestly. movie is not appropriate for children. Definitely worth the hype. Plot twist. Incredible. Just the fact that, like, I didn't even know the genre of this movie. Amazing. And also the whole, like, mm-hmm. don't talk about Fight Club. Like, I feel like fans actually really take seriously. And because nobody had... Nobody told me about this. <laughs> no one freaking told me about any of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. yes from I, Rebecca. I, For you, was this movie worth the hype? I agree in every way. I, I think it was worth the hype. I think it was worth the wait. I can't imagine watching this when I was like 15. I know so many people pro- probably saw this in high school. And it's like, I can't imagine trying to process all that this movie throws at you at like that young of an age. I really liked it. Like, I know that we made jokes and I know that we like said things, but I want the the listeners to know, like, I really liked it. What a good opening movie. Um, I'm going to um, explain my 9-11 comment. <gasps> we made it the whole podcast. People people heard that at the beginning in the smash <laughs> cut, and they have waited until two and a half hours in. They have waited so long to hear. Yeah, let's, okay, let's hold get on. into let the me, 9-11 Let me pull up all. the exact quote. Tyler is speaking to all of the people on Fight Club. They're like either in no. the parking lot or in the basement. And he's like... Man, I see in Fight Club the strongest and smartest men who have ever lived. I see all this potential, and I see it squandered. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising has, a, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. We're slowly learning that fact, and we're very, very pissed off. And I said, hold on, just wait. Two years, 9-11 is coming. Was that joke in poor taste? Maybe, but I still find it funny the second (laughs) time around. I think out of context, it sounds like you're almost saying it like it's something to look forward to. <laughs> well, in but this in context, context, he's looking for it's that. It's you saying, it's it's him saying, we haven't been through anything of substance. And you're like, don't worry, buddy. Oh, something don't of substance worry, is buddy. on its way. Truly, Your that was something we didn't even coming. touch on in the podcast was there was multiple times in the movie that we were like, oh, this is a pre-9-11 America. Like the, the, the airport, the airport security. and like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was very cash, very cash. Guys, that concludes the first official episode of Late to the Watch Party. We have officially watched Fight Club, one movie down. If you guys, if any of you listeners also watched Fight Club for the first time, or are just diehard fans that want to roast our takes on the movie, we do have an email that you can email in your thoughts to. It is just late to the watch party at gmail.com. Email in um, your own re- thoughts and prayers um, for us. Specifically, we will not read your email if you don't <laughs> include at least one thought and one prayer. So tune in to the next episode, already available now, if you would like to hear us react and review Mrs. Doubtfire. Rebecca nor I have seen it, so we'll be going in um, pretty pretty fresh takes on that one as well. Um, pretty blind. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you feel so obliged, give us a review, give us a rate on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for listening once again. We really appreciate you. This has been Late to the Watch Party.
gosh, have you seen all the memes of like, <laughs> like what insurance companies go through in the world where the Avengers live? And it's like people Dude, like it stress. <laughs> it stresses me out. I like that in the MCU they've acknowledged it a little bit with like the opening of the first Spider-Man, mm-hmm. but all the time I'm just like I'm like that is someone's car. Yeah. What are they gonna do? Yeah. How do they carry on in New York after there's a mess everywhere? Who cleans it up? The world must hate the Avengers. Didn't you watch Hawkeye? They made a whole musical number about it. The city's trash men can save us now. We'll like you there, but you're good for now. I blacked out for that musical number. I was so in shock. I have that that song saved in my Spotify. (laughs) Rebecca, you're not allowed to criticize me ever again. I just feel that that whole scene is is, is disrespectful to Broadway. That is a great reflection of what Broadway is today. No shade to Broadway. Looks, Broadway, if you're listening, turn so ch- this podcast off. Broadway, please don't pull your sponsorship. 